In the early days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Read Rothbard. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian and anarcho capitalist perspective. And tonight we're going to talk about The Last Jedi, the latest and greatest in the Star Wars franchise. This is episode 57 of the podcast, so you can find it at actualanarchy.com slash 57. And we're going to have our special guest back from our trains, planes, and automobiles episode, The Professional Asshole. And he'll be back on with us for this episode on The Last Jedi, episode seven, the last, no wait, episode eight, episode eight of the Star Wars trilogy, new trilogy, additional trilogy, something like that. It's the post-ergo-procto-hoc post-ipso-facto episode of the Star Wars franchise started in 1977 with episode four, five, and then six, and then they went one, two, three, and now they're doing seven and eight and then nine next year, or a year after next year. A year after, like, tomorrow after this comes out. So there you go. And uh, you might have one last chance to save $150 off of the Master Level Membership at Liberty Classroom. That's going on through the end of the year. Well, actually, I looked at the thing, and it said till the 30th, which... Is going to be before this comes out, so you missed out. Ah, darn it. And uh, how you doing, Robert? Oh, hey, what's up, Dan? Doing all right. Well, all right, all right, all right. The Last Jedi. It's going to be a good one, I think. I, I think so. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know anything about these things. Well, I, I never I know. It's an interesting they, movie to talk about. I never know how they're going to go, right? The episodes. Yeah, especially since you haven't seen it. Well, spoiler alert, everyone. I haven't seen this one, and I'm going to... I did go back and watch episode seven right before this, so at least I knew who the SJW victims are in this in this one. Oh, Daniel, playing your hand, huh? Early. Well, I, I have heard that it's not as blatant in eight as it is in seven, but I did notice that there were a lot of conveniently placed, typical—well, not typical, but types or underrepresented, uh, underrepresented cultures or people or races or sexes or genres or I don't know what you call them anymore. The whole strata. The rainbow, United Colors of Benetton were represented in Episode 7. 
Yeah, I would say that. And I'd say there's a fair amount of that in Last Jedi as well. Um, I don't know if I'm just getting desensitized to it or if I'm just getting used to it and taking it as a matter of course. But especially since it's a Star Wars movie, I give it a little more slack because they're trying to represent this entire galaxy of people. And, you know, you got all kinds of weirdo aliens and different peoples. It's not that... It's, 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 it's okay. Even though traditionally um, one of the things that makes the Empire evil, I guess, is that they're very racist and they only let humans in. So it is, from the get-go, a fairly SJW-y type of franchise. Yeah, and I did notice you know, you, in you can't Seven... Just, you can't just be an evil government that does evil things. you also got to be racist. Well, yeah, and there was this huge attempt in, in Episode 7 to showcase the First Order, is that what they're called? As, called. as this uh, very Nazi-esque uh, presentation style, like he's giving this very rousing, yelling speech in front of columns of soldiers on this planet that he's about to fire the weapon from the Star Killer, and it it looks like you know a very Hitler scene to me. Yeah, and that's that's very intentional. But George Lucas, I don't think was ever um, shy about wearing his influences on his sleeve with this franchise. He has openly admitted that he basically just wanted to film World War II in space. So you got to have the Nazis as the villains. Who can't shoot. And, you know, and the Nazis. Although, yeah, the Nazis in real life were far better shots than the Stormtroopers. But, I mean, you can't, you can't look at Hitler and say he wasn't fairly racist when he was complaining about the Jews and killing gypsies and homosexuals and whatnot. So, you mean like Che? Yeah, kind of like Che. <laughs> the famous yeah. hero of the communists and the socialists of the world. All right, I, I don't mean to bring us down. I mean, this is uh, the holiday season, and it's the new year. This is the final episode of this year for us. This is episode 57, like I was saying, and we're going to have the professional asshole who was with us for our Thanksgiving special as well, uh, which I believe was Trains, Planes, and Automobiles. Yeah. Let me see what episode number that I'll post it down below. Yeah, it was episode 50, five zero. So that's at actuallyunderkey.com slash 50. And he'll be joining us in a few minutes. But before we get into uh, introducing him back to our audience... How was your Christmas? You're still on the West Side, yeah? Yeah, I'm over here on the West Side. Uh, it's love, been lovely. I'm actually stuck here for another day or two due to the winter storms in effect in the uh, western Washington. Well, eastern Washington and central Washington. Um, I probably could have braved it, but I don't know. Kind of having a decent time over here, and I thought I'd go back just when the roads are a little more clear. So I don't have the best all-terrain vehicle. It's the front-wheel drive car, but it's only got the one-tire fire, and it just doesn't have the traction that I think a modern car should. You know, you sacrifice some things when you don't. Uh, you go strictly for economy and other things like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's a fine car. Don't get me wrong; it's fine. But I'd rather have like an all-wheel drive Subaru at this point for the couple weeks out of the year when you actually need it. You mean like what we've got, and we we haven't been anywhere in days. <laughs> Yeah, you got the hermit style. Oh yeah, it's super weird weather. It it snowed a fair amount up here, and then it thawed and rained, but not enough to melt the snow. So it just like made the trees really heavy, and then it refroze. So now all of our trees are bent over, and there's branches falling down, and it's like super icy. And it it, it looks really bizarre um, because there's like ice cubes and things like things that have frozen and then fallen out of the trees onto the ground. So it's this uh, kind of very strange, um, strange environment, strange landscape outside the window. Almost alien, Daniel, as if you were in a galaxy far, far away. Almost alien, and I, I keep thinking I'm going to end up in the cantina with, you know, that whole thing. Shoot. Uh, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Shoot Greedo first. <laughs> I, uh, are you speaking about something that I should know? I don't know. Yeah, man. 12 parsecs, of course. 
Okay. All right. Throwing out my Star Wars nerd. Is that you crapping out or is that me crapping out? I don't even know. Who's crapping out? What are we crapping? You crap? Do I sound fine? I don't know. You, you, you're kind of, every once in a while, you crap out. You sound fine. You sound great. Fantastic. I've been hitting mute when I'm not speaking, and I, I maybe I'm doing it a little too early. A little premature mutations? That would be par for the course. Oh, uh, yeah, baby. So mm. I have to ask a couple of things. We're coming to the close of this year, and yeah. when we were doing the Read Rothbard podcast, we often talked about your book and the progress. So what's the update on the book? Will it finish in 2018? Pitch. Have you learned the ukulele? And give us an update, ah. an update on your uh, artwork slash t-shirt biz that's going to be launching soon and then be linked from the actualanarchy.com website. You are a son of a bitch. Yeah, so the book is um, kind of taking a back shelf to the whole Trubster idea, the, 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 the webcomic with the t-shirt designs. I mean, I've got probably 16 webcomics finished at this point with another 30 of them kind of roughed out in terms of story, but not drawn at all. Um, and that's going to be the main draw to the website, along with the writing and the t-shirt designs and, I don't know, like a blog blog post that's going to go along with each each comic. And then, of course, you know, the website or the uh, podcast links and the other links to Actual Arnarchy and that sort of stuff. And that should be, I mean, it's definitely coming out here in 2018. Um, for the past couple of weeks, I've been working on, I was working on a Christmas gift for my family. That took up a lot of my time, so I didn't get a whole lot done there in terms of the website. Because, you know, that was like crunch time. That's like the number one deadline. And I still I still made it. I, although, let me tell you, if you are getting something printed and you are going by, you know, speed and promises, um, I wouldn't suggest a site called OvernightPrints.com. They promise overnight. Sounds sketchy. Sounds sketchy. And they failed hard. I even got online to chat with them, and they confirmed that everything was on schedule, even though they were three to four days late, and they still said they were still processing the order, uh, or still in production at least, and they still promised everything by the 22nd, and I paid extra for stuff by the 22nd, and I got stuff on the 27th, which um, I don't know if anybody knows this. That's actually after Christmas. So when it all arrived, I had to make another special trip to go deliver it all to everybody. Not that it wasn't terrible to see my family again, but, you know, generally you expect to get what you pay for. And uh, in this instance, I did not. So consider this a little warning about using a site called OvernightPrints.com. I'm sure if you don't care about the uh, arrival time, they're fine. The print turned out fine. Got no real complaints about that. Just uh, when arrival time is almost everything and you fail on the arrival time, then the score is very, very low. That's all I have to say about that. All right, and that is the rating and review for OvernightPrinting.com, right? That's the name? So black OvernightPrints.com. OvernightPrints.com. Stay away. Black and red. Black and red. Black and red. Yeah, so how was your uh, Christmas, sir? It was pretty good, man, having a four-year-old and a two-year-old. They just have that joy in their eyes when they see all those presents. And we've got a little gate barrier thing that keeps the kids away from the stairs and the presents. And they kept trying to, like, inch inch the gate closer and closer so they could sneak a peek. But uh, we did get them to hold out until actually Christmas evening because we had family come up here, rent a cabin nearby, and we would go back and forth uh, visiting them and then come home for the weekend. And they decided that they wanted to go over there Christmas morning. The girls did, the, the two kids. And so we went there and we said, well, you know, this means that presents are going to be later after we get home. And they were like, okay, it's worth it. 
So they mm. exhibited low time preference, which was very nice. You know, they, they chose family over immediate gratification. So I think a lot of the things that we're trying to impart on them are starting to take root. It's very, very sweet. Yeah, that's a big deal. Time preference. Um, I would like to argue that a lot of reasons why a lot of people don't really achieve what they'd like to achieve in life is due to time preference and choosing the quick immediate pleasure over the long-term gain. Not that I'm the greatest at it. I'm <laughs> clearly not. I'm clearly terrible at it myself. But that's something I struggle with all the time. But yeah, I mean, you know, that, that fixed heroin right now feels pretty good as opposed to that, you know, retirement plan later. Yeah, yeah, I would totally agree there. And the other little lesson that we had with the girls is the one, the older one has jobs around the house, feed the cats, help with the dishes, whatever. And she earns quarters for every one of her little jobs. And she's been saving up to get things. And I think I've told some of these stories before and, and she had earned enough money to buy her, her sister a gift uh, a few months ago. And so we're, we saved that for Christmas. And then she said that she wanted to then save up and buy herself this for real animals, Toby, the talking tiger, which is like over a hundred bucks. And we're like, okay, that's a good goal, but you're going to have to work until like May to earn that money. <laughs> and then she said, that's like, that's a big percentage of her actual life. Span, yeah, it's a big chunk of her lifespan. Yes. And uh, then she decided that she wanted to get her sister the special edition Toys R Us exclusive one, the white one. And so we're like, well, okay, now you have to work to like next Christmas to be able to afford this. But we let her think that that's what she was working towards. And then lo and behold, Christmas Day, what does she get? And what does her sister get? The fucking tigers, man. And so now she's been saving this money and, and she can now use it towards other ends. And uh, so we're you know, trying to impart that lesson as well. So it was, it was pretty cute. Trying to teach your children. Unbelievable. All right. And joining us once again is the professional asshole. He was our guest on episode 50, our Thanksgiving special, which was on planes, trains, and automobiles. And also with us a few weeks or a few months prior to that on our 310 UMS episode, which was episode 37. You can find both, both of those listed down below in the show notes page on this one, which is going to be actualanarchy.com slash 57, where we're talking about The Last Jedi. How you doing there, professional asshole? Yeah, I'm doing real well. I appreciate you offering me another spot on the show. I'm hoping that sooner or later that uh, I might actually make a meaningful contribution. Revolutions are built on hope. <laughs> That's right. Yes. When you have no when you have no plot or point, you know, you just have to hope that in the future things will get better. Well, especially with lens flare, right? Enough lens flare will cover up a lot of plot holes. That's right. So tonight we're going to talk about The Last Jedi, the latest installment in the Star Wars franchise. And I believe this is the middle of a uh, the latest trilogy, right? So The Force Awakens was Episode 7, but one of this new trilogy, this is Last Jedi, which is 8, and then 9, I think, is yet unnamed, but is supposed to bring this whole thing to a close. And uh, I watched The Force Awakens the other night just to try to get some background on this. I have not seen The Last Jedi, but I'm expecting both Robert and his uh, Star Wars nerd cred and the professional asshole with his assholeness to carry this one as far as the content goes regarding the movie. And uh, let me just say that uh, I did find The Force Awakens to be a United Colors of Benetton in space, which a lot of people kind of panned it for SJW, you know, girl power type stuff. Um, I did see a fair amount of that, though. Um, when you were telling me, professional asshole, uh, that the first time I saw it, I would probably enjoy it. I did enjoy it to a, to a point, but there were a lot of holes in this thing. A lot of like, wh who's this? Why are they doing this? What are they resisting? Who's the government? And none of it made a whole lot of sense. Um, and then why is uh, Emo Vader, like this super strong, betrayed Luke and killed all the other Jedis in training, yet this girl who has no 
training whatsoever can overwhelm him. It, it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Anyway, I digress. Let's get into the Google description for The Last Jedi, if we must. Uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi just came out, 2017 fantasy science fiction, two and a half hours long, pretty pretty lengthy. 7.6 on IMDb, 91% Rotten Tomatoes. The Roger Ebert uh, website gave it four out of four stars, and 76% of Google users like it. Luke Skywalker's peaceful and solitary existence gets upended when he encounters Rey, a young woman who shows strong signs of the Force. Her desire to learn the ways of the Jedi forces Luke to make a decision that changes their lives forever. Meanwhile, Kylo Ren, Emo Vader, and General Hux lead the First Order in an all-out assault against Leia and the resistance for supremacy of the galaxy. And like I said, just came out uh, December 14th. Director Ryan Johnson doing spectacularly well in the opening um, uh, in the box office. But I think I saw an article that's saying that it kind of dropped off rather rapidly. Uh, you guys have any information on that and any response on the Google description thus far? Go to Robert. You're talking that the box office is dropping off rapidly, as you said? Yeah. It's matching approximately Rogue One as opposed to matching Force Awakens in terms of its projection for money, which for you know a main series, uh, you would expect it to be maybe slightly less than Force Awakens, but not, not matching an, an, off, you know, um, an anthology offshoot series like Rogue One, which... You know, a lot of it has to do with the fact that the critics rating is, you know, in the high 80s or maybe 90. Now, I'm not sure exactly where it was, but it was close to that. But audience rating initially and continues to be somewhere in the 50s and 60s. The the audience did not receive it nearly as well as the critics. Yeah, and there is a sharp divide between the Star Wars diehard type canon fanboy type people who know the series, know the Star Wars lore and mythos and even just the the movies have been presented and then the more casual viewers who I would say probably enjoy this movie a bit more, especially if you take it as a standalone film and not so much as a sequel to Force Awakens. There is a lot in this movie, not necessarily a whole lot, but there are several key points, I think, that were set up in The Force Awakens which just kind of get ignored or brushed under the rug and don't really go anywhere in this movie, which I think upset some people for sure. Especially the two big questions that have been left unanswered, which were who was Snoke and who are Ray's parents, which... Right. They answer the raised parents' questions, but only barely, and in such a way that I think they may be leaving it open for future revisitation. And Snoke, they just basically said, oh, we're not going to deal with that at all. Yeah, and if you, had, if you were interested in the Snoke character, sorry, <laughs> you're not going to get anything. If you were interested in the lineage of Rey and you were interested as to why she was such a Mary Sue character and able to do all these things with no training, sorry, no explanation for that either. So yeah, as far as we can tell, it's, it's basically just another Deus Machina where, you know, the Force chose her. And so it teaches her everything. She, it, it just makes it happen. Yeah, which is kind of antithetical to the original trilogy where, right. I'm sorry, but, you know, Luke didn't really have anything to do with the Force or anything at all, even though he had this massive lineage from Anakin. Right. And it was only after he was trained by Yoda that he showed any kind of ability. Whereas Rey, apparently the, the Force just chose her and... She's just super, super awesome for no real reason. Now, I've, I've heard one theory, and this is totally just a fan theory, but I've heard one theory that kind of explains it in that the, there's always balance in the Force, or the Force tries to always balance itself, so that with the rise of Kylo Ren on the dark side, there had to be an equivalent light side person, and that uh, turned out to be Rey as chosen by the Force. Snoke even I don't know if I necessarily buy that, but yeah. that's been one theory. Well... Yeah, Snoke even kind of mentions that in the movie where he says, you know, didn't I tell you that as your power grew, your equal and the light side of the Force would arise? So I don't think it's too ridiculous, but the problem is, you know, the Force, which is supposed to be this 
this it's it's an entity. It's it's not a it's not an intelligent entity or it's not a personal entity. It, it doesn't represent like say you know the Christian God interacts with people individually. The force doesn't seem to do that. It's a it's a feeling that you have or it's I mean, quite literally, they call it the force for a reason. It's a force. It's not a person. Right. So it seems to be going significantly out of its way in order to have a personal relationship with Ray by teaching her things supernaturally that in you know previous generations it did not seem to do. It was it was there to be used. It was created, and you know, I mean, Obi Wan says in A New Hope, it comes out of everything and it holds the galaxy together. So it it's not it's not only born when new things are created, but it's also it's also creating new things in and of itself. So it's supposed to be, you know, a very sort of an Eastern concept of creation and destruction, you know, fused together in itself, like, you know, in some of the Eastern concepts of deity. It's not a personal entity the way, like, the Christian God is, or, you know, um, even the other Abrahamic religions. Right, it doesn't necessarily have a consciousness or a will of its own. It just kind of is. It's like a, a force, uh, like the nuclear force that... Yeah, bind molecules together, that sort of thing. Some people will say, you know, uh, the will of the force. Like certainly that was the case of um, Chimrit Imwe in in Rogue One. You know, he would say things like "all is as the force wills it" or something. But the problem is, it, it doesn't. It seems to be sort of a dry determinism or something like that. It's not a. It's not a personal determinism where things might actually be specifically shifted. So it's just. They haven't. I don't know if they figured out how exactly they want to be portraying the force, but they need to. They need to make it a little more consistent. I mean, same basic problem we had when you went back to the prequels, and it was like, oh, yeah, we got to invent these concepts called midichlorians in order to explain how the force comes about. It's like I, I don't think you do. You know, you, you don't have to make the force this material concept, like it's like it's born out of material, um, you know, material circumstances, or it's just sort of the nature of the universe or something. It's, it can be supernatural, but you know, then they had to try to walk that back, and it's so far just been a big, you know, big CF. Yeah, it's getting to be a bit of a mess. I, uh, spoiler alert for the original, for the rest of this movie, I did like what they did with the Force, though, in this movie. Um, most part, the the new things that it introduced, um, I enjoyed them. I know I'm I'm not, and there are people who critique them and don't like them, and that's perfectly fine. All opinions are valid in this in this area. I I actually enjoyed what they did with the Force, but I think there is some there is some kind of danger with you know, the, the, when the uh, Force Awakens first came out, and JJ basically just redid New Hope, and everybody kind of complained that it was, you know, a reboot and that sort of thing, and didn't tell us anything new or anything really too particularly interesting. And then Ryan Johnson is like, "Can I? I don't know exactly the story of what happened with this movie, but he seems to have just been given more of a full reign or a free reign to kind of write his own story and take what he thought was interesting with the Force Awakens and play with those toys, and then kind of ignore and leave the things he didn't find interesting away." like as a course with Snoke and Ray's parents and that sort of thing. Um, but then he's just free to kind of play with the force and the force kind of is whatever the current director and writer think the force is. And yeah, if you're telling a complete you know story from one end to the other end and have the force just radically change, it does, I would see how it would throw people off for sure and get things a bit messy. Yeah, I, I agree with what you say there. And maybe we should go over and say what we liked about the movie First, you say you liked the portrayal of the Force, even if you thought it was inconsistent with previous movies. Um, yeah. Well, I like the idea. Well, so we've well, – well, let's tell – okay, so Luke has been on this island for, you know, decades, right? At least yeah. 10 years, maybe longer. Just meditating and being a living Jedi dude. So I like the idea that he might have created or invented this thing. I mean, he didn't obviously invent it because Snoke is also doing it. But if there's some sort of convergent evolution in force design, I don't know. But 
Uh, yeah. Anyway, anyway, so yeah, the things that we did like, go ahead. I'll, I'll let you start. Um, yeah, so I'll actually say I liked the first act, or at least certainly the first half of the first act, the opening sequences, where you, know, you have Poe Dameron, again, we get introduced with him again, just like in Force Awakens, and he goes about with this somewhat subtle trickery that has you know, a little bit of jocularity to it, and then he goes on this very bold and badass maneuver in order to do some serious damage to First Order, right? So, yeah, he does some serious uh, damage to them, and, and that's in keeping with the character. We see the same thing in Force Awakens, where he's extremely bold and willing to take a lot of risks in order for a lot of reward, which somewhat it causes him to come in conflict with uh, Leia and some of the other leaders of the Resistance movement. Right. Yeah, so in addition, I liked the way they introduced Luke at the beginning. I liked how they were quickly able to move through multiple different characters. I liked how they first introduced Finn, obviously, with the the somewhat slapstick introduction where he's walking through the hallway, basically naked in a leaking healing suit and stuff like that. It was, it was all cute. It was It was good, and it brought you in. But after the first 20 to 25 minutes, things really started to, in my opinion, fall apart, especially with the, the overall plot point of the movie, which was basically we're going to run and hide until we can find a place to run and hide again. So Yeah, I, I, I found the opening scene, the, the, whole, the whole setup for the movie is basically a very contrived slow motion chase scene. And I did not like that at all. I, it, it, it works okay, sort of, if you don't really think about it and whatever, you're fine. But who wants to sit and watch one snail chase after another snail? It's, 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 it was really, really dumb and painful. Because, okay, so what we've got here is a group of a large force of First Order ships have found, are able to track the rebels, okay? And they've got their rebel fleet. And so as soon as the rebels jump out, like light speed out, which is traditionally you're just able to escape. Anytime in the past history of Star Wars, you're able to escape. Well, there's been a new technology, and somehow the First Order is able to track somebody through light speed. Okay, fine. I, I can buy that. Yeah. But then, so they, so they warp up to the rebels, and the rebel ships are a little bit smaller and maybe just a little bit faster or about slightly the same speed, sort of. And they are able to slow motion stay equidistant from these First Order guys who can't, like, warp past and then come warp back or whatever. But it, it turns out that they're, so they're shooting them, and the laser blasts are hitting this big ship, but they've put all their power into the back shields, and the ship, the lasers just aren't able to blast it. Okay, so what you really have is just they're waiting for them to run out of gas. <laughs> yeah, no, they literally say that a few times in the movie. They're just waiting for them to run out of fuel, and it's like, this is... Thank God they found ways to have divergent storylines off of that, because if that was the entirety of the story, I mean, people would just got up and walked out. Yeah. I, as a Star Wars movie, you never really want to... I mean, it's, it's one thing to really bring in resource management into a story when, you know, you've got a limited amount of resources and it builds tension and that sort of thing. But in a Star Wars movie, you've never... And maybe I'm being guilty of declaring this a Star Wars movie or not. I'm sorry if I am, but oh well. I've never really thought about, you know, resource management. You're just there to kind of have fun space battles and have, watch things blow up and see massive aerial skill. And I don't know, just, all of a sudden you're bringing in this running out of gas thing. And I was just, that was just a big letdown as far as plot devices go for me. It was Some never, people might have liked it. That's fine. But yeah, it was never really brought up so... Um, it was never brought up so directly in any of the other movies. I mean, it was a concept, but it was just shrugged off. Like, you know, if you go back to Empire, one of the reasons why they have to go to Bespin is because 
the Millennium Falcon is damaged, and so they have to go get repairs. So, I mean, there's resource management in The Empire Strikes Back, but it's not like it, it's not like a five-minute talking point like it is in this movie. Yeah, so all, they exactly. also introduced that in uh, Rogue One a little bit, where they're mining something from the the village that they destroy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're they're mining the crystals. Right. Yeah, resources yeah. do exist in this universe. It's just it felt weird to me and not exciting is my big issue with it. It's fine if you're if your plot is going to revolve around resource management, but make it exciting. This is our this is the first order strategy. We're going to chase them for 17 hours until they run out of gas. That's it. I'm trying to think of other movies that um that have resource management as a major plot feature. The only ones I can think of are are not really all that fantastic. Like if you ever saw that movie Rain of Fire back in like 2002 with Christian Bale or something like that. Um, the Dragons? Yeah. The you know, resource management was a major consideration for that movie. Um, well, it, there's a movie called um, The Martian, which is a huge resource management movie, right, where that, he's trying to survive on Mars and uh, you know grow crops and stuff, and that was actually pretty damn interesting. Yeah, and so speed. I got away along with it then. Man. And Speed? Speed, yeah, sure. I mean, any of those, any of those heist movies where yeah, they're trying to get away. Now, this also, how you guys have described this so far, it sounds a lot to me like a police tactic in the O.J. Simpson slow speed uh, chase That's exactly what it was. They were just slowly chasing O.J. down the street. That's what it was. And, you know, they make up for it by sending out uh, Finn and his new girlfriend, whose name I can't really remember. Rose? Uh, Rose. 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 Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, They send those two off to go basically find somebody that might be able to disable the First Order ship. And right. they do this, they go well, they, out, the problem is it, it, it ends up failing, like, almost immediately. Yeah, and the whole sequence for me was really painful and dumb, and it reminded me of the prequels. So I, I, hated, I hated that entire sequence. Um, you could have first of all, the, the entire second act and just gone straight into the third act, which almost was broken into two parts. Well, yeah, the first act or the second, the the whole casino sequence accomplished nothing. Right. And you could get rid of it entirely. And in fact, I would appreciate it if they had just, there's like a fan of it that cuts out the Finn and Rose storyline entirely because on the, for the first part, um, I didn't find their uh, chemistry to be at all that attractive. I, I thought they were just kind of bland. I didn't prefer, like, I, I think John Boyega is a decent actor and he can be good, but I didn't find their, their chemistry to be anything interesting at all. I felt like it was forced towards the end, their chemistry. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, with the kiss and everything. I was, I was like, what? What are you doing? No. <laughs> I thought he was all yeah. into Ray after uh, The Force Awakens action. Yeah, apparently not anymore. I guess they, I guess they want they're they're building Ray to eventually, you know, be some sort of a monk type type character where she doesn't have any strong emotional connections or she only has friends or something. Yeah, so let me explain how the reason behind the whole casino situation. Um, so Leia, there's a pretty interesting scene where Kylo Ren has been admonished by Snoke, and he's like, take off that stupid helmet, and he smashes it, and he's angry, and he gets in a TIE fighter, and they go out and they attack the rebels. And apparently TIE fighter blasts can go through the shields, but these big giant cannon blasts from the Star Destroyers can't for some reason. I don't know why. Don't ask me why. It doesn't make any sense to me, but that's the way it is. So Kylo's like aiming at Leia, and he's like, I'm not going to kill my mom. Am I going to kill my mom? It's pretty interesting. And then he decides not to, but then the other TIE fighter people, friends, with him do and Leia gets blown out of the the deck of the the bridge and then she force powers herself 
back awake and then puts a bubble around herself and then force let's, powers back in. Let's talk about that real quick because the way they portrayed Leia dying, it, I, they, they really did do a, a straight day ex machina to bring her back from the dead. I mean, you know, when she got sucked out into space, you're thinking, okay, that's it. And everybody else is right. dead. But suddenly right. she everybody is, else is dead. She, I mean, the way they even portray it, it's like the sun hits her face and she wakes up and then flies back to the flies back to the the ship, you yeah. know, and yeah. walks through the you know the door, basically knocks on the door literally and says, uh, "Yeah, bye. Can you let me back in?" That's exactly what happens. It's, I mean, it was when we say that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens, and it's just bad movie making. I mean, sorry, you know, like if you want her, if you want her to live after this, or you want you want her to to die or something. I mean, it could have been better if for some reason, you know. Kylo Ren is sitting there debating, do I kill my mom, do I kill my mom? And then sees the TIE fighters going in, and he kills the two TIE fighters, and then has to, like, come up with some ingenious answer for why he killed his own men or something. That would have been a better way to handle it, not just have her get sucked out into space and, oh, yeah, no consequences there, sorry. Yeah, I was, I was desperately hoping as I was watching that scene for him to get angry at the other guys shooting his mom and for him to blow them up and, yeah, for there to be trauma and conflict there. I wanted there to be more... Yeah. More meat, more juice in that situation. But, um, yeah, this is something, you know, we'd never seen Leia do before, but it's also been a long time since we've seen Leia, and we know that she's, you know, Force-sensitive and that sort of thing. But it is definitely, it was really weird and awkward. They killed Admiral Akbar, but then she survives for some reason, even though we've seen Jedi, you know, they, they can die. They can get blown yeah. up and blown out into space, and they die, just like people. They're not like these super invincible superhero characters. No, it's so it was be careful, right? So if they can just yeah, just Superman themselves back and like put force bubbles around themselves and they don't have to breathe and it's okay. Who cares? I mean, she does force herself back in and then she's kind of out of commission and like kind of sort of a coma for the rest of the movie or not the rest of the movie, but for like the second act. Yeah, right. And then so that leads us to get this purple-haired Laura Dern admiral-type captain person who is now in charge. And I've heard her called uh, Professor Gender Studies because of the way she looks, and I, I like that title. It's pretty funny. Honestly, I have to agree with that. She really does look like how I would expect some, some gender studies professor to look. And even the way they portray her in contrast to Poe, I mean, they were basically saying, you know, the, 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 the female wiliness, right, like the, the measured wiliness of the woman is better to the straight aggressiveness of the man who's, you know, always ready to punch somebody, but can never think more than beyond the punch, right? Like the woman is somehow the one who has long foresighted views. And the man is just this wild, aggressive animal who is necessary when you need a wild, aggressive animal, but not when you need to do any real. Right. So what we got there here is, you know, we got the situation where they really don't, they're in dire straits. They can't jump out because then the, the, the empire will just be right on their tail again. So they have to come up with some sort of plan. And Poe's like, has a le- legitimate question. He goes, you know, what's the plan? We got to have some sort of plan. And Professor Gender Studies, she's just like, I don't have to tell you anything. Yeah, just, just get out of here. Hiding. We're going to run and hide we're, until we can run and hide again. Yeah, we're just going to keep going. Just, just, just keep going. And he's like, well, that sounds, that sounds really dumb. So I'm going to have to come up with my own plan. When she could just tell him what the plan was, and then they could have done that. Because it turns out she does have a plan, but she just didn't want to tell him for some reason. Probably well, because the writer wanted to have this dumb second act. Well, and it's a fairly straightforward plan, too. I mean, it's not exactly hard. It's the, the plan is, you know, get far enough until we can get to a, a base that's fortified that they won't be able to penetrate, which, of course, ends up also not being the case. Right? Like, right. So it's just, you know, every time you think there's a solution, they say, oh, wait, no, that, that actually isn't the case. It's like the never-ending cliffhanger where you know in the first two seconds of the next show they solve the problem you know dad talking i hate that i despise it bad it's bad movie making 
Yeah. Yeah, and I also um, I also did not enjoy the humor in this movie. I mean, there were some scenes of levity, and I appreciate the tone a lot of the time. But in the original trilogy, and maybe I'm just an original trilogy fanboy, but I don't think so. I think those movies hold up the test of time due to strong yeah. writing. I yeah. think that a lot of the humor came about from the witty type of bantery type interactions between Han and Luke and Leia um, and Chewbacca and these kind of guys. This movie, it seemed more like... I don't know. It was just weird, off-putting kind of humor and just kind of jokey jokes. I, I did not really laugh, and I thought that the humor was more—I don't know—lazy and not within character. All of the all of the humor was slapstick in one way or another. It was either Finn walking around, you know, like in an embarrassing bozo situation, like roughly the equivalent of having your your hospital robe open in the back so everybody can see your butt. It was basically that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or it was, you know, little little creatures getting into mayhem, like gremlins or something. So you had the Porgs on Luke's uh, island, and you had Mark Hamill actually voiced the character of that little gambling creature that tried to put a bunch of coins in BB-8, which BB-8 yeah. later then shoots out at, at stormtroopers and stuff like that. And, you know, it's just like, this is all slapstick. Yeah, the uh, this movie is a lot like at least the setting is um, like the Zamboni scene in Deadpool, where Deadpool is like gonna run over a guy in like ten minutes. But right. I would argue that that one scene is funnier than this movie is. And that's you know, if you like the humor in this movie, great. I applaud you. It's fantastic. I mean, whoever's listening to this, it just it didn't it didn't hit me. And uh, you know, oh well, it's it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Well, Solo's well, not in this, right? And he provided a lot of the dry, no, uh, witty banter. Yeah, like the deadpan. Right. Dry humor. Yeah. You lose that tone, I think, with this movie. There are no, like, strong, funny, like, just sarcastic, dry wit characters left anymore. And it's unfortunate. Well, the other thing I really didn't like about the movie is the fact that there's, there's basically no character development among any of the characters. Right. With the possible exception of Luke, and we'll have to address that in the way they portray him, because that's my biggest beef with the movie. Well, there were options, or there were um, many points where we could have had a good Kylo Ren character yeah, development. We could have, and we didn't. They, yeah. they, they set it up about three, three times, and we had nothing. Yeah, I, I actually thought um, that Kylo Ren was well portrayed as by the actor. I thought he did a great job, but every time he had a chance to develop as a character, there's like, no, no, we're just not going to do that. Yeah. Like, well, why not? Why not? It'd be so much more interesting. Yeah. I agree. And the backstory they gave him where they actually started to show it was, was actually, I thought, fairly decent, and they went poorly with it. I mean, because the whole point was, like in um, Empire and Return of the Jedi, you know, truth uh, can somewhat be dependent on perspective, and so you understand why Kylo distrusts Luke, and you also understand why you know Luke sees Kylo as a as a bad guy, and then you see the truth, and you're like it's it's somewhere in between. Um, yeah, I I mucho big time enjoyed that. I thought that was fantastic motivation for Kylo Ren. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit contrived, but you know what? If you're making a movie, you got to have something like that. Um, right. I did enjoy yeah the the idea that the single event happened and they both had their slightly different perspective on it, and that's what led to this whole conflict. I thought that was fantastic. But um, back to, to Finn, I mean, he's basically the exact same character. In the first 10 minutes, he's trying to run from his, whatever you want to call it, duties, or he's trying to, he's trying to make good for himself somewhat at the expense of others, which, you know, he, so he learns nothing. And then by the end, he's willing to sacrifice just like in Force Awakens. So it's a repeat of his, his character story arc. Ray is still a complete Mary Sue. She comes in awesome. She comes out awesome-er with nobody having taught her anything in between. Through a vision, through a vision, just like in Force Awakens. So it's it's just like yeah. if you can't 
if you can't develop a character, why should I care? Which was the, the major critique everybody had for Force Awakens. It's like, Rey is literally a goddess. She just walks in. She already knows how to kick ass. She's better at running the Millennium Falcon than Han Solo, who's been doing it for 40 years. She's better at everything than everybody. So why do I need to fear her? What does Luke have to teach her? And the answer, as I had jo- joked with some friends, you know, maybe a year ago or, you know, back when Force Awakens came out, what does Ray have to learn from Luke? She's too awesome as it is. And apparently the answer was nothing. You know, I was, you know, I said back then she has nothing to learn from him. And apparently they were like, yeah, she's got nothing to learn from him. Well, wasn't the whole yeah. point of getting Luke was the whole plot of The Force Awakens? Yeah, and, and, and it ends up going nowhere. Like, it's just the whole, the whole movie is basically setting up a problem and then not answering the problem, not just with Snoke, not just with Ray's parents, but with Ray's character development, with Finn's character development. The whole plot of the movie is basically there's a big problem, oh, and we have a solution for it that is purely Dax Machina, or, solve, or, or you know, the solution that we develop for it is taken away the second we, we create it. It's, it's truly disappointing for that. All right, let's talk about yeah. Snoke a little bit, if we may, because he's sure. introduced in The Force Awakens, right? He's never been in any other movie, right? He might have been in some of the comics or the novels. I, I don't know enough about it, but to me, it looks like I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, why the hell is Lord Voldemort in my Star Wars movie? Right, and yeah, he, um, again, the same problem with this movie is that they've built him up to be this extraordinarily powerful force wielder. He can slap Kylo Ren around like he's like he's nobody. He can slap both he and Kylo Ren and Rey around like he's nobody. And yet the way he dies, he dies through complete subterfuge and it's literally the flick of a switch. I mean, Kylo Ren's just sitting there manipulating uh, Rey's lightsaber so that Snoke doesn't notice it and suddenly click, oh, he's dead, see you later. I mean, it's the same problem the entire movie is that the problems are built up and then solved in one second with no resolution. Well, I had that same problem in The Force Awakens when Kylo Ren was able to do super awesome force-wielding stuff against people, and he was all menacing with his voice and the voice modulator and, and his uh, getup. He was like, you know, a new Vader. But then he becomes this total pussy when he talks to Snoke, when he interacts with Rey. Like, he can't do anything. And anytime he's in a fight with somebody, except for the final battle, he, he's super weak about it. I mean, even uh, the Jander guy was able to fight him off fairly well. So I don't understand like how Kylo Ren is supposed to be this super badass who killed all these other training, training Jedis, and Luke is fearing him, and he's like, oh, he's the next Anakin and all of this stuff. And yet he's like super weak when it all boils down to it. And he's also been like highly trained both by Luke and by Snoke, and yet Ray can just resist him, and it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah welcome to the, to the new trilogy, sir. <laughs> Which is why people wanted an explanation as to how Ray was able to do this, and apparently there is none, and why it's leaving a lot of fans frustrated, for sure. Yeah, when but, we first uh, meet Ray, I'm like, I'm like, oh, she, she knows the Millennium Falcon. She's the next Millennium Falcon person, you know? Like, Lando got to drive it. She gets to drive it. She's the new Han, but I guess she's the new Han slash Luke slash Yoda slash Mace Windu slash Superman. Anything you need her to do. Anything you need her to do, she can do it, no problem, no, no difficulty. And for that reason, it's extremely, it's an extremely boring movie. It, I cannot connect with Ray. I don't. It's like, okay, let's let's watch her, you know, beat everybody up on set, and then somehow cry about it afterwards. Like somehow there's there's a problem. I mean, you know. Anyway, yeah, very disappointing. So let's, let's, 
Go I wanted to get back into the uh, casino scene because what happens from Professor Gender Studies not telling Poe the plan, Poe's like, well, we need to come up with a plan. And he uses um, Finn and Rose, and they are going to go off to this casino planet in this smaller ship that's like docked in there. And they're going to go and try and find this slicer who's going to get them on board the lead ship, the lead Star Destroyer that is tracking the rebels. So if they can knock that out, then the rebels in this little window could escape and they wouldn't be able to find them. So, okay, that's a solution to the problem. Great. So they go down to the planet and they park on the beach. And apparently this is what gets them thrown in jail because apparently it's illegal to park on the beach. And they find these horse animals that are being raced and they're saying that this is terrible evil. And then they get arrested and they get thrown in this jail with, and they find Benicio del Toro's character named DJ, who I thought he did good enough with his, what he had. I thought he, I liked, I kind of liked the way he made this little character kind of unique yeah. with the way he talked. I, I have no issues with that, but you know, he has very little screen time and whatever, but it begs the question because the, the, the DJ slicer guy, they're, they're uh, uh, let me back up just a little bit. They're talking to Maz Kanata um, on this like hyperspace telephone. And she's in the middle of this battle with a labor dispute, whatever. And she's saying, you got to go find, cause she knows everything, right? You got to go find this guy with this uh, flower on his shirt. <laughs> and he's the only guy in the galaxy that can slice into the uh, Empire security code deal, Bob Jigamas. And they're like, cool. Okay, we're going to go do that. Where, where is he? Oh, he's on this uh, casino. He's always gambling at this table on this casino place. Okay. So they go in there and then they get uh, thrown in jail because they parked on the beach. And then they're in the, the jail and they find the DJ guy. And he's like, oh, he just happens to be also an awesome slicer guy. And then he just proceeds to escape out of the jail. So that begs the question, why didn't he just escape out the jail a long time ago? <laughs> There's yeah. no reason for him to just be hanging out in the jail cell unless he, like, totes, loves it in there. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, it's, it's more meaningless victories to invent problems. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, you know, when, when people and then, movie, it's oh, go ahead. Reasons and, you know, everybody... A lot of people who are defending the movie are saying, oh, it's just, just like with the um, Amy Schumer, right? It's a bunch of alt-right racists who you know, are complaining about it, you know, when they say she's not funny or something. No, it's, they're saying the same thing. Like, it's a, bunch of, it's a bunch of alt-right people who hate a strong female character. And it's like, no, you talk, it's a boring character. This is a boring character. I mean, people liked Wonder Woman. They hate Ray. Yeah, and they loved Princess Leia in A New Hope. Yeah. I did. She's fantastic. She's a strong yeah. female character. She was great in that movie. Yeah. And in Empire and in the whole original trilogy. It's fantastic. Anyway, so uh, Rose uh, is upset about the, uh, the horse racing. So they decide to free the horses, even though they're these little slave kids and they don't free the slave kids. But, you know, who cares about slave kids? Right. So they free these horses and they smash up this um, casino. And <laughs> then they're running out and they escape out of this casino. And first they're going off to, they don't even get any of the slicers because DJ goes off in one direction and they're on this horse running away. And they're going back to their ship, having accomplished nothing. But then they're out on this field and they're like, well, we sure showed them. We sure showed those rich people. Did you? Did you show those rich people by just smashing up the casino they like to gamble at? Well, and they, <laughs> they commented that all of these rich people were there because in some way they were connected to weapons weapons dealing, mostly to the First Order, right. which I right. thought was kind of ridiculous because it's like, okay, if they're dealing weapons to the First Order, you think they only have one customer or are they dealing them to the rebels as well? And if they're dealing them to the resistance, I mean, that brings up another economic question. It's, you know, if you only have warring factions in the galaxy, who's doing the production? I mean, there has to be production in order for war to be perpetual. You can't just, you know, and I know the Empire had some slave labor going on, but 
ultimately, you know, you have to have productive economic activity in order to be able to finance war. So somebody's got to be doing that. You know, somebody's got to be making the, the weapons, but not just the weapons, but rebuilding the cities and making the food and, you know, creating all this wonderful technology for people to be able to jump millions of light years across a galaxy in order to be able to take infinitely long trips down to, you know, a matter of minutes or days. Yeah. So another, I think it was just another quasi-Marxist critique of, of the wealthy. Like, oh, they just, they make money by hurting people. And I was like, eh, you sure about that? Because I'm pretty sure they're making money by producing things that are worthwhile to people who can afford them. Yeah, look at all the technology that even the poorest people are able to afford. Right, yeah. The, the, pretty, pretty damn amazing. So, I don't know, it's just, it's very, very annoying to hear them just throw that in there. And, you know, I'm, I'm especially disappointed because Ryan Johnson had, prior to this movie, I mean, he did Looper, which I was okay with. I thought it was an okay movie. But he wrote three of the best episodes, wrote and directed three of the best episodes of Breaking Bad, which, you know, were quite good and, some, and very heart-wrenching. And I, I'm just, I, was, I was looking forward to this movie quite a bit based on what he had already done, and I didn't like any of it. No, Breaking Bad is a lovely show. I've enjoyed that entire series. That is disappointing for sure. If you remember the episode about the fly in the lab, he did that one. Oh, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. And the other one that he's, he did one other one that's not as well known, but the other one he's really well known for is what's considered the pinnacle of the show, which was Ozymandias, the, I think, fourth, third or fourth of the last episode. The one where uh, after, after Hank dies, um, Walt now has to deal with the aftermath and trying to, get his family out, but his family just says, no, enough, we now hate you, and he loses everything that he fought for. Um, you know, he has to, he loses his money, he loses his money stolen from him, all that stuff, all that, uh, when he eventually steals his daughter and has to have that somewhat gut-wrenching moment where he um, hears his daughter calling for her mommy, and he leaves her in a um, the fire station and mm. calls his wife right. to alleviate her of guilt by confessing to everything and taking all the burden on himself. So that very heart-wrenching episode that you watched was Ryan Johnson, the guy who directed this movie, where all of the decisions had consequences, major consequences. This movie has none. It's, it's almost the exact opposite of what he normally does. Yeah, I really – sometimes I'd like to be a fly on the wall in some of these meetings and decisions where movies get made because I wonder how much of this, even though it's credited to him entirely as writer and director – I mean, Kathleen Kennedy has got to have a ton of input, and there have got to be other people, execs and whatnots, that have some input. I, I, not to say it's not his fault, right. but, I mean, if he's, if he's able to do this, such good work and he knows what storytelling is and he knows how to do it, then there's got to be some interference. I just, there, you know, well, a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of the worst things in movies are due to executive interference, people who know nothing or very little about character development and story and arcs and that sort of thing, and just want to see shit shoved into a movie. Right. And, uh, yeah. Well, we had that with both Rogue One and Solo. You know, both of them, uh, the directors were on for much of the movie, and then the movie was yanked, rewritten, and massive reshoots were done. In the case of Rogue One, I can't remember the director who was first on, but he was replaced by a guy named Gareth Porter. And likewise, with Solo, they originally had the guys who directed Lego Movie, and I can't remember what else they did, but it's... Um, Chris and Phil Lord, or Chris Miller and Phil Lord, and they, he, they got replaced by uh, Ron Howard. So apparently the execs are having a lot of uh, influence, seemingly for the negative, in, in how this is getting done. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. The end product often is never a better thing. It's often, uh, most often, just average. I'd much rather see a singular director's vision than some amalgamation of just so many cooks just yeah. in the kitchen, just throwing everything they can at the screen. And they probably have the Justice League, too. Very unfortunate. Yeah, so anyway, they're back on the, they're down on the planet. 
and they've dealt their blow to the man, and they're feeling good, and then here comes DJ, who has stolen a ship, and so then they're back into the fight and the fray, and they go in, and DJ is able to slice in and hack in, and then they just all get captured, and so, okay. And so then it accomplishes nothing, that whole plot, and they don't, they don't, they aren't able to disable the tracking mechanism long enough for the uh, rebels to escape. Right. And this leads to a pet peeve of mine in movies. So Ray and Rose, or I'm sorry, Finn and Rose are getting executed by Phasma and her executioner type people in this hangar on this big ship. And at the same time, uh, the rebels are evacuating off of their main ship while the, um, and they're kind of cloaked. Apparently they're cloaked and there's some sort of cloaking device and you have to do a specific scan in order to see these like escape ships. And that Romulan. was like, a big plan. <laughs> Meanwhile, Professor Gender Studies is going to turn around the big ship, the, the sole remaining rebel ship. And she, and this is like a big moment in the movie. And I thought it was beautiful, but there are a whole bunch of economic implications to this, 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 this idea that Ryan had. And she warps or, you know, goes to light speed right into the first order fleet. Okay. And it's this beautiful scene where the silence, you know, the, the sound cuts out and it's all shot really prettily. And uh, so this raises multiple issues. First of all, I'm going to talk about the little dumb issue that bugs me. And then we'll talk about the big issue that changes everything in Star Wars. So the little thing that bugs me, uh, Ray and or Finn and Rose are getting executed. All of a sudden, the hangar bay is destroyed and on fire from this warping. Or the, I'm sorry, the light speed thing. And everything's on fire. And shit's going to shit. And there are dead people all over the place, stormtroopers and blah, blah, blah. And Ray, or, sorry, I keep saying that. Finn and Rose are like, okay, sweet. We can escape in all this chaos. No, you can't because Phasma and a couple of dumb stormtroopers are like, we don't care that everything's burning and on fire. We're not going to grab a fire extinguisher or whatever the equivalent Star Wars thing is. We still have the high preference of executing these two rebels that mean nothing. I mean, maybe Phasma has this, has it out for Finn. Okay, I can grant you that. But doesn't she care about her own self-preservation? Doesn't she care about trying to save, oh, I don't know, the tens of thousands of other stormtroopers and people that she knows and cares about on the ship? No, they don't. So the, what they care about is having a big dumb like fight scene between Finn and Phasma where Finn just like almost immediately kills her. And she falls to her death, and she's like a dumb no, nothing character where she just looks cool, and then she immediately dies. Yeah, right. I, anyway, that, that, that bugs me when, you know, when you're doing a thing, but then something of way more importance happens. That should take your attention away from that. Anyway, that's, I know it doesn't work narratively. For the narrative, they want the story, and I understand that and whatever. But in the real world, when all of a sudden the house starts burning down, you either, you know, you care. You either get out of the house or you, you know, help put the fire out. You don't, like... Anyway, whatever. So, and I actually, I'm, I'm hoping we can talk about what ends up being my biggest pet peeve for the whole movie, which is the portrayal of Luke. Okay, but before we get to that, okay. before we get to that, we have to talk about the light speed bombing, essentially. So this one ship with the light speed effect, it goes out in a cone and it mm-hmm. takes out all these first order ships. Like, so one, one, you know, medium sized cruiser type, well, it's big, but not nearly as big as like a Star Destroyer. Right. Is able to take out what, like 10, 20 first order giant ships? Yeah. Not it, entirely, but you know, it's like massive destruction. Okay. Massive destruction from this one thing. 
So why aren't there, you know, light speed missiles that people fire at big clusters of ships or at all? Why yeah. wouldn't that be the case in all Star Wars combat? It was a, you're right, a solution that brought up many more problems. Uh, not the least of which was the fact that, that um, Admiral Holdo waited until about more than half the escaping ships had been destroyed by the First Order before she got yeah. it to turn the ship around and, and kamikaze herself into these into these oncoming ships. It's like, I, if, I mean, come on. If you're the only person on the ship and you're willing to stay there until it dies so these people can escape, like, it seems to me that would have been the natural thing to do. Or, you know, I mean, I don't know. Just my disappointment no, she, is starting to sound in my voice as well. <laughs> How many times no, did yeah, she like it? Right, no, yeah, she should have gone, like, immediately. Because, yeah, like, almost more than half, or way more than half, it's like... It was almost like artificial in that they wanted to get the number of rebels down to the amount that would fit inside the Millennium Falcon, because that's what happens at the end. Everybody can cram into the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. So we can't have too many rebels live. We can only fit so many on this little freighter. Okay. This YT-1300 Corellian freighter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, I, I think that totally changes all Star Wars space combat. It would just be massive, widespread people, like little fighters firing right. light-speed like, missiles back and goes, forth. This goes back to, like, why didn't they destroy the Death Star that way? Just take a ship and launch it at the, you know, like have one person willing to kill themselves launch it at the Death Star. Or have somebody put a brick on the gas pedal and take off. Yeah, you know, I mean, have it be a drone. I mean, what? Yeah, it just created way too many problems. It, you know, it, it's I mean, it's a nice little sacrifice when you're watching it. You're like, oh, thank you, you know, thank you, Professor Purple Hair. You know, you you saved us. And then you're like, oh, why didn't why didn't you do that earlier? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'm I'm okay with you know things you know. Um, you know, getting discovered, you know, for the first time. But that did not, it did not seem that that was what the case was. She seemed to know what she was doing and that this would be the effect. And nobody seemed to react like, whoa, we've never seen that happen before. That was amazing. I was like, yeah, that's what happens when you do that. We all know that. So why don't you do that all the time? She should have done it 77% sooner. Oh. (laughs) Nice one, Daniel. I got to contribute something on this one. That's right. You're still here. Yeah, I forgot. Wait, wait, wait. I see him sitting there drinking his soda in the background, and I'm like, ah, ah, Daniel, what are you even doing? (laughs) Well, my hostly duties, but not watching the movie, it makes it a little bit tough. But tell me, what happens with the Snow character, from what I understand and what I read, and spoilers, of course, is that there's some telekinesis going on or telecommunication between Ray and uh, Emo Vader, and they eventually confront... Right, and it's, it's actually orchestrated by Snoke, and he confronts them and is kicking their ass and then um professional hustle you said that he dies rather quickly and and anticlimactically but what was the whole point of the snow character he's supposed to be this all-powerful jedi master who's been conditioning and training uh kylo but kylo can't do shit i mean i'm still stuck on that like yeah well we get this we get this scene where it's basically a retelling of the Return of the Jedi scene where Luke turns himself into the, the Emperor, complete with the scene where Rey looks out the window at the rebel fleet that's getting destroyed. And Snoke's kind of like gloating about how he's orchestrated the whole situation and how everybody does what he says and how he knows everything. And he was the one that set it up between the two so that he would bring her to him and blah, blah, blah. And maybe he realizes that she's a Mary Sue and he wants to turn her to the dark side. And yeah, but um, if you're interested at all in the Snoke character, sorry, uh, we just get him as this big, bad character who immediately gets killed by, yeah, Kylo. 
when he uses the force to turn the lightsaber and then flick it on, and there you go. He's dead. Yep. He, um, he's basically forcing Kylo and Rey to have visions of each other while they're, one's on the First Order's uh, lead ship and the other one's with Luke training. Not even training. I, I, should not, I should not exaggerate what happened during their interaction. And they're having this communication where it, it's supposed to be, hey, you and I aren't actually all that different. Maybe we can discuss... So that, so that Kylo goes through and tells her, here's, here's why I hate Luke. This is what happened. And she's sitting there saying, well, here's why I hate you, because blah, blah, blah. Snoke is arranging this interaction so that they are basically tempting each other to join forces with the idea of corrupting Rey. So he's got all these abilities where it's like he can slap Kylo Ren around and psychologically manipulate both Rey and Kylo without Luke noticing. And then again, it, as Robert says, he just, he just died. I mean, it's not even a, it's not even a, you know, like there has to be a sacrifice. It's purely subterfuge. It's, it's you know, basically shoving a guy down the stairs when he's not looking. That's what it is. Yeah, pretty much. So here's the scene, Daniel. So yeah, Snoke has got him in the, like it's basically a throne room situation and he's surrounded by these crimson guard guys and he orders, he orders, what does he, doesn't he order Kylo to kill her? Isn't that what happens? Yeah. yeah. And so instead of killing her, Kylo turns the lightsaber that's sitting on the side of his chair and kills Snoke instead. And then the two of them, Kylo and Rey, battle against the Crimson Guard guys who are actually pretty good and actually have the Jedi guys on the back foot a little bit. It's almost like, oh, okay, so Rey's not, can't do everything perfectly, but she's still holding her own against these massive killer stud guys, which is like, eh, really? But the two of them are, it's actually a pretty good fight. I thought it was a pretty good fight, but... Then at the end of the fight, when they're all dead, all the uh, Crimson Guard guys are dead, there's this chance for Kylo to have some character development and to maybe join up with Rey and have the two of them become more like Grey Jedi and be in between these two, you know, forces and whatever. Do whatever. Do something interesting. Instead, Kylo's like, no, join me, and we will rule the galaxy together. Why would he think that she would do that? That's never been, that was, you know, my one issue with Return of the Jedi, where Luke has no motivation to ever just join up with the dark side, just for no reason. I mean, and that's why the turn of Anakin Skywalker in the, in the prequels is also, I mean, at least he has a little bit of motivation with the desire to save his wife. But still, he just goes from being, oh, no, there's this evil Sith to, I will do whatever you want, Master. <laughs> like, what is, what's going on in the Jedi's with the forces and the turning evil? I, it's, <laughs> it just seems to happen in an instant, and it's senseless. So, so um, how, how are they able to get away with all of this? I mean, you've got these executives and these focus groups and the pandering to a bunch of different groups and then trying to embed these I guess messages of like the rich are bad and is the resources thing like potentially an environmentalist uh, green watermelon message my, I guess my point is like do they have so much brand uh, cachet that they can spend freely and still make a billion dollars on this thing yeah like think, are yeah. people going to watch it anyway Got brand smash <laughs> and it's just become like a thing that nerds everywhere are going to see whether they really on an individual level like it or not. Like we, we well, had an article recently. Movie. They'd have to, they'd I'm have sorry. to quite a bit for quite a while. I think to not make a profit. Yeah. But I mean, asshole, what do you think? I mean, there was nothing in this movie, especially the way this movie ends that led me to go, man, I got to see the, the next movie. This well, is I just really, this is, a, the, the you know, to Disney is going to be that, you know, as opposed to making two point, however many billion dollars, yeah, two point however many billion dollars that they made on Force Awakens, they're probably going to be stuck at somewhere between $1.2 to $1.3 billion, if you had to ask me. 
which is you know a you know a thirty percent uh, maybe a forty percent reduction in what they earned. But of course, it doesn't matter on a two hundred million dollar budget. You know, in order in order to be profitable on two hundred million dollars, they only have to bring in four hundred or maybe four hundred and fifty million dollars. They'd really, I mean, things would really have to slide downhill quite a bit for that to happen. Um, so I think their brand recognition is is pretty high. Plus, half the money they're making, or much much more, is the fact that they have access to the characters or the parks or merchandising or toys, all that stuff. So they're going to really have to keep screwing up quite a bit for quite a while before I think that's a problem. Yeah, I tend to agree. I have a little bit more hope for maybe Ryan Johnson's own trilogy. I mean, maybe because maybe he was just, you know, thrown in and, you know, make your own movie based on this first movie and go. And then we'll try and figure out what this third one is going to be. I, I, I would be more comfortable with, you know, a single person or a single team doing all three movies. I think that's a better idea, but, um, so Peter Jackson, this thing, well, at least you have a singular vision, you know, good or bad, not just like some kind of weird mess where one guy picks up the baton after the other guy's handed it to him and go, do what you can with what you got in the short amount of time you have. I mean, honestly, I would think that if you're planning a trilogy, you'd sort of have it penciled out. You'd have this plan and you'd break it down. Okay. This is movie one. This is movie two. This is movie three whether it's multiple directors or not, but you get them all in the room and you say, okay, here's the overall plan. Fill in with your own vision where you will, you know, throw in some Easter eggs and some spoiler or some, you know, cutesy things that are callbacks to the super fans and all that stuff, but have, have an idea where you're going. And, and when someone passes you a baton, pick it up. Like there were many things at the back end of the force awakens that it sounds to me like they didn't do anything with in, in Jedi. I've heard um, that the, uh, a uh, Finn character, who's the janitor, right? He basically does nothing, right? Like he's all built up everything he, as this main everything character. Everything he does could have been taken away, yes, with no loss. In fact, probably would be better. Yeah, and you think him turning from being a stormtrooper that would have been an interesting thing? And I, I suppose it yeah. was in Force Awakens, but they don't really do much with it. They just show him on his first mission, not able to, you know, kill innocents and basically defect, right, or, or go AWOL, right? And and then uh, then he kind of stumbles around like a dork. But he, his accuracy improves once he takes that helmet off, apparently. That's right. Yeah, that was my point, too. He was like, all of a sudden he can shoot because he, he took off the white uniform. Now, now he can shoot. Well, that helmet gets in, you kind of, it's like foggy or something. You never know. But let's, let's get into Asshole's main point he wants to discuss because I know it's a big point of contention with fans, and I know Asshole's got some, some, some shit to say here. So let's talk about the characterization of Luke here, sir. Well, do you want to start? Because I think, honestly, I, I would prefer to have you get your points out first because I've got – Almost like a, it's not quite a speech, but let me just say, you know, it's going to be something like that. All right, good. Well, let's, my, I will be, I'll probably be a, little, a lot more positive than you. Okay. So Luke, in, from the last time we saw Luke, he was this kind of noble hero journey type character where mm-hmm. he is, you know, trying to save his father from the dark side. And he sees the good in him and, you know, this and that. He's doing the noble hero type thing. Fast forward, you know, 30 years or whatever the timeline between Jedi and this is. And Luke is this bitter kind of like he's had it with the Jedi. He's had it with the Sith. He's, he thinks the Jedi are full of hubris and he's just bitter. He's had a bad experience trying to teach the new Jedis. You know, he starts this school in between movies where he's teaching Kylo Ren and these other students. And either he's such a bad teacher that when Kylo has this one interaction with him, he's able to just leave and go, you know, Luke just tried to kill me. Everybody, you want to come with me? And they're just like, yeah. So, so Luke must have been a real shithouse teacher 
for them to not go, really? Luke just tried to kill you? Are you sure? Let's go get Luke's side of the story. Come on, guys. Let's go see. Oh, no, I, I just killed him. Are you sure? Really? Let's go, let's go see his body. Because I don't, that doesn't sound right. I still kind of feel him with my force power sensitivity. So, yeah, Luke must have been real shithouse of a teacher. Anyway, so Luke is this bitter guy who's just had enough. And so he kind of cuts himself off from the force is what they say in the movie. And that's why he's unaware of a lot of the things. And that's why he went to this out of the way, hard to find place so that he wouldn't be found and he could just die in peace. He said he came there to die, which is a real kind of a 180 from the Luke we last see for sure. And it's definitely a massive departure from the Luke Skywalker in the expanded universe. Isn't this a Jedi trope, though? I mean, didn't Ben Kenobi go hide out on Tatooine and didn't Yoda go hide out on Dagobah? Yeah, but with well, the hope of being found by Luke so that they could train him. Right. So, yeah, so, so when Ray originally shows up and you get this, you know, what's going to happen? What's he going to do with this lightsaber at the end of Force Awakens? He just takes it and he just throws it over his shoulder. Like, eh, kind of like in a jokey way. And he's like, I, I ain't doing none of this shit. Yeah, I'm like, kinda, yeah, I'm, like I'm too old for this shit. Get out of here, kid. What do, you, what do you expect me to do? What, am I going to just grab a laser sword and go cut up the entire First Order? That's just, what, what fantasy land are you living in? The way he actually puts it. He doesn't say the word lightsaber that we all are accustomed to. He says laser sword. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what he says. You know, through the course of the movie, surprise, you know, spoiler alert, uh, Yoda appears and Yoda kind of gives him a little talking to sort of and kind of kind of his point is that, you know, you learn more from failure than you do from success. He's trying to, like, I guess, teach Luke that, yeah, you failed with Kylo, but don't give up and whatever, whatever. I think that was kind of his point. Yeah. Um, But then Luke. um, So the, the rebels have escaped, you know, to this little planet, this old um, rebel base on this salt planet with these little crystal dog things, little crystal foxes. And apparently the crystal foxes know who the good guys and the bad guys are because they immediately trust the rebels and they hate the empire. <laughs> when the empire shows up, they run away. Anyway, so then we have a replay of kind of the Hoth scene in the beginning of Empire where these walkers are coming across and the rebels are in these kind of old junky flyer things. And they're fighting it out. And there's a real dumb scene where Finn is going to try and sacrifice himself to save his friends. And then Rose comes and crashes into him and tells him that we don't fight what we hate. We say what we love. That's a direct quote, by the way. We don't fight what we hate. We save what we love. Even though Finn was just fighting what he hated so that he could save what he loved. <laughs> it, just, it just doesn't make any sense if you think about it for two seconds. It's a Disney trope, you know, believe in yourself. You have it in you. Who cares? It's all the same crap. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Anyway, um, so then Luke Skywalker shows up at the 11th hour, and he is shows up, and then Kylo's there, and he's like, kill that guy. And they train all their blasters on it, and Luke's like, dusts himself off. He's like, that was nothing, son. And so Kylo goes down there, and they're fighting it out. And I thought that the fight scene was actually really, really cool. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, you know, just from a pure spectacle, Star Wars fanboy, yay Luke kind of situation. That was, I thought that was pretty cool. Now, what turns out is that he is fighting Kylo Ren, but he's actually just a force projection, and Kylo can't actually hurt him. And another, another example of a, a very tense and built-up problem with an immediate and stupid resolution. Yeah, this yeah, this is a recurring theme with this movie. There's a kind of a problem, but then oh, don't worry about it. He's just a force projection. Now, from a kind of a badass standpoint, that's where I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it from the point that Luke Skywalker was here schooling this kid on some new force power that he had kind of mastered and that 
Kylo still had a lot to learn and he could still get his, you know, essentially shown up. But um, all it really does is buy time, I guess, for these few remaining rebels to run through this base and run away and get in the Millennium Falcon and run away. Um, and then, spoiler alert, um, the effort from doing this, Luke just fades away, Yoda style, and dies. <laughs> and, that's, and that's it. Now, so I have issues, and I'm probably going to agree with Asshole on most of the things he says here, but from just a pure kind of a badass, like I'm showing you, kid, how do I can do something punk, I thought that was pretty cool. But I have issues with it. Go ahead, asshole. Let me hear this uh, the screed you got. The screed, yeah. <laughs> um, well, my my big problem is that it. Um, you mentioned the phrase "the hero's journey," which was a, a well known phrase in you know, if you're talking about movies or mythology or storytelling. But it's actually originally a book written by a guy named Joseph Campbell, who was um, an accolade of I'm sorry, an acolyte of um, Carl Jung, you know, the uh, psychiatrist and philosopher to some varying degree. They were presenting heroes and all hero stories as inherently coming from one sort of mythos base that's meant to teach us a quasi-religious psychological understanding that's meant to help better our lives. And for many in the libertarian community, Jordan Peterson is a, a well-known Jungian. And he's a big follower of Jung, and Jung has a lot of interesting wisdom to give, although um, I disagree with him uh, on the basis of his philosophy, I'll really call it, and his psychiatry. Nonetheless, if you were to listen to him and had listened to his wisdom, you'd be shocked at how helpful you would um, have it be. So Joseph Campbell is, is writing this book called The Hero's Journey uh, about you know the basic 12 steps that any hero takes on any of his journeys. And George Lucas was a big fan of Joseph Campbell. They were personal friends, and he used Joseph Campbell to help him really put Star Wars together. Star Wars is basically a step-for-step rewriting of variations on the hero's tale. And originally, Luke was presented in the way Jung would have described a hero as a, as a traditional Western sort of a hero, meaning that he won through sacrifice. Luke was strengthened in A New Hope by the loss of his master and friend, Obi-Wan, and eventually risked his own life to destroy the Death Star. In The Empire Strikes Back, he's fighting for his friends so that they can survive, and he loses his hand, and he suffers a lot of personal loss. And in Return of the Jedi, he's willing to sacrifice himself in order to kill the Emperor and save his friends in the Rebel fleet. The problem is that the new, the new Luke isn't like that. He's not sacrificing himself, and he's not... In fact, he thinks the concept of sacrifice is somewhat useless. And ultimately, the way they portray Luke is he ends up not being a hero, but rather an inspiration for other heroes through the repetition of a mythos that's no longer real, right? So, so Luke is no longer this hero who actually goes out and fights the First Order and wins, but rather people falsely think that he's done it, and therefore, you know, young slave boys in far distant parts of the galaxy are inspired by the story so that they can start rebelling in their own small ways. So this is, it, it's taking away, in my perspective, what the traditional Western hero mythos provides us with and what an actual hero is and replaces it with this with this highly degenerated form of a hero that's not really a hero at all but is only a hero because he's been made to be a hero through storytelling that's interesting yeah yeah very much so he they even say you know what in the movie you know we're not going to do anything here but this will light the spark that'll burn the first empire or the first order down based on what happens here today 
as they're escaping and whatnot. So yeah, it is the what is told about Luke Skywalker, like the legend and the mythos will inspire others as opposed to him having the agency himself to right. fight the battle himself. Yeah. And I think I think the problem with that is that a true a true hero, the ones that are really inspiring are the ones that actually die or actually save somebody, tangibly save somebody. Whereas mythos heroes, they just um, they're just a way for there to be the next generation of revolution. It's not, and right. revolution is always overturning somebody else's order so that you can replace it with your own, as opposed to, in my opinion, a true hero is one who sacrifices himself for an ideal so that people will live according to that ideal, even if it doesn't directly benefit them now. And, I mean, I'm not just going back to, like, traditional Christian historicity or theology, where I could make that sort of on-the-nose, obvious argument. But let's just take, um, like, say, Martin Luther King, right? You know, he actually had to die in order for his message to be well-received and people to start saying, look, I'm, you know, I'm willing to be hosed by a fire hose and bitten by dogs in order to sit here, like, passively and peaceably and be wronged so that people can see how evil the situation is, as opposed to, I think, the latter, where it's the mythos hero type thing, it's the way they aggrandized, like, everybody from Karl Marx to Lenin or something like that. Like, you know, Lenin died of a, of a cold, but if you talk to Marxists, it's like, you know, he died, he died out on the battlefront killing, killing the bourgeois, you know, as opposed to he died of a chest cold in Finland. <laughs> so I, that was my biggest problem, was that they changed Luke's inherent character makeup from being a traditional Western hero to this sort of a, I don't know, Maybe maybe Eastern, maybe postmodern. I'm not sure exactly where Ryan Johnson was coming from on that, but not to my liking. Yeah, I, I I mean, you make excellent points, and I you know, if I was writing this movie, I would have probably had him you know lead by example and show how you do you know how I would have done something differently probably. But I I I, I do, and I, you are making valid points by the way. But I do appreciate the, I guess, the, the different, it was a take, I guess. It was a take that he tried, and maybe it didn't work for a lot of people. But at least it was a creative decision made that he found interesting. And, you know, it's interesting that um, uh, Mark Hamill didn't, didn't appreciate it. But he still, I think, I think he still acted the shit out of the role. I think he did a great job acting. I don't think that Carrie Fisher did such a great job acting, but... Um, she also hasn't been an actress for her entire career. She's been more of a writer, so it's hard to fault her for that. Whereas uh, Mark Hamill's been uh, a pretty dang amazing actor throughout his entire career. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it. Well, yeah, you just make good points. You make good points, but I still, I still enjoyed. I still enjoyed the. I still enjoy the characterization, even if it wasn't, you know. Um, the traditional uh, Western style of hero, or if it wasn't, you know, what we what we came to expect from a Luke Skywalker. Um, I know a lot of people have sworn off Star Wars, hate the Star Wars, think Star Wars is dead now, all because, you know, this isn't my Luke or hashtag not my Luke or whatever. But um, I appreciated that they at least tried something different. Now, whether it was handled super great, you know, I'll leave that up to other people to decide for themselves. But um, I did, I did enjoy it for the most part. In fact, I'll still, I'm still giving this movie, despite all the things we said, <laughs> I'm still giving this movie a positive review because I I did enjoy it. You anarcho-communist bastard. Yep, yep. Yeah. Big time. Loving it. I'm sticking it. I'm sticking it with you, and I'm going to give it a black and red. You, know, you, can, you can enjoy it all you want. Your ancom bullshit. You know, I don't. Know. <laughs> 
Uh, no, unfortunately, I was really disappointed by the movie on almost all levels. I, I really, I mean, the first time I saw The Force Awakens, I was just like, oh my god, it's Star Wars again. And my, my eyes lit up. And then, you know, I left the theater and I was like, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. It was, it was, ah, was alright. And then this, I saw it a second time and I was like, oh man, this is, this is actually really not good at all. Ouch. And then I'm yeah. you know, coming in hoping, oh man, I hope Ryan Johnson fixes it because, you know, I really liked what he did with like Looper and and Ozymandias, blah, blah, blah. And then I watch it and I'm like, oh, no, this is, oh, this is so bad. Oh. No, 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 well, just... Do you think your expectations are too high? Because it is just, you know, kind of like this kid space opera star movie. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I do find it funny how every time I go to Wikipedia, they always describe Star Wars as a space opera. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> opera? I think you're shooting a little too high. <laughs> you know, like, let's be honest. Yeah. Anyways, but no. Yeah. I mean, it's possible that my expectations are too high, given that Star Wars is something I really enjoyed as, as a kid, you know, 6 to 13, obviously. Prequel trilogy had not really come out until I was a little older as a kid, um, and I did not really, obviously, like it that much. Um, the problem is I can still go back as an adult and watch the original trilogy and enjoy it, even from a, a non-nostalgic point of view. Like, I can still... It's still gut-wrenching to hear, no, I am your father. Like, it's still like, oh, Man, that's that's bad. But Empire is also my my favorite. A New Hope is like once you've seen it, you know, a couple hundred times, it's got problems, obviously. And Return yeah. of the Jedi is no masterpiece, but you know. Yeah, but what carries that trilogy, in my view, is the you know the main the characters. The characters absolutely are are absolutely vital. I need to care about the characters. I need to enjoy them interacting with each other. I mean, if there was a, a sitcom or any kind of a recurring TV show where it was just kind of like Han and Luke and Leia and Chewbacca just going around having adventures, I would watch that in a heartbeat. Just th- those, that, that core group just riff on each other and interact so well, and I would just watch them do anything. There, something about the chemistry in those characters and the writing of Lawrence Kasdan and that sort of thing um, – it just those movies hold up to this day, and I don't think it's my nostalgia glasses on either. That I think that those movies just good, and you know the practical effects don't get shitty like the CGI and the prequels do. So yeah, you haven't been. Yeah, man, up. there's something to be said for just good, strong storytelling and strong, likable characters. Yeah, it, it, it's hard to be this disappointed, but I was. Uh, I hate to say. It. <laughs> um, so what are you what are you expecting out of the episode nine? Anything? Well, I don't know. They changed up the directors again, but uh, they originally had Colin Trevorrow, who was basically Spielberg's apprentice. He did Jurassic World, so I was expecting mm-hmm. a massive CGI super space battle. Yeah. And we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I honestly think they're going to need to start including more lightsaber battles. I mean, they had sort of, like, I'll say one and a half in this movie. They had the one between Kylo and Rey and all that. Um, right. They had... Some blaster fire and some other stuff, but uh, compare that to say Empire, where you're dealing with like three three lightsaber battles. So I, I don't know. We're we're gonna have to. I think we're gonna need a little more lightsabering. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I think they could do some really strong lightsaber stuff. But it, it, you know, they have to have impact and you have to care. They can't just be about how much flash and splash we can do. I, I, it, they have to be meaningful, you know, and actually have you know character development and growth and. <laughs> I just don't understand why they have options for character growth, and they're just like, nah, never right. mind. We don't want to do that. No, that, that would be interesting. So, well, yeah, we could have we could have Ray fail at something. Ooh, imagine that concept. We yeah, can't. No, we can't have a woman not be able to do something. 
She can only do 77% of what Kylo Ren can do. <laughs> so. Well, Daniel, are you still here, buddy? No, I, I think, unfortunately, he got cut out. He messaged me and said uh, that the freezing snow and ice has cut the power out to his house. So he's, he, had to, he had to cut out early in order to make sure that uh, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, screwing up halfway through. Or, you know. So we're going to have to wrap up for him, unfortunately. Well, now, wait a minute. Is this even being recorded then? Oh, God, I sure hope so. Ask him. Hey, hey, can, boys. You him? can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you. you do, do, right, is it still on, being recorded? Ten minutes? Or we are. We are. I'm on auxiliary power on my router, and it'll last like 10 minutes. All right, so let's go ahead and wrap up. Hopefully we, we haven't lost anything. Otherwise, you know, we'll just have to try to make two. Yeah. All right, boys. Well, it sounds like you guys continued the conversation after I dropped out, so that's good. Uh, let's go ahead and do the summary and review, and then our uh, black and gold or black and red ratings, and we'll end out the show. Well, we're already past that, you loser. Yeah, where have you been? Yeah, where have you been, man? We already, we already assigned it a rating, you know? All right, black and red, baby, all the way. <laughs> you haven't even seen it. Yeah, what do you know? You know what you're talking about. This is a 50-50. We're, we're completely egalitarian today. It's 50-50. Yeah, that's right. All right. Everyone must be equal at all times. Exactly. By force. Well, go ahead, Robert. You can give your quick summary and review so that Daniel's no longer lost. All right. So, yeah, this movie is very flawed, but and it, and it works better as a standalone movie. I, I really don't understand why they just had Ryan Johnson write his own movie in the middle of a trilogy and think it would be cohesive with the first one or who knows what's going to happen with the third one who knows but all that said and all the problems and all the issues that it raises i still had fun watching the movie it does look good the performances from uh, luke i enjoyed i did not enjoy finn or rose or most of the other characters unfortunately uh ray is still a nothing character i i don't understand why they're going with this Mary Sue, feminist power, she can do no wrong thing. It's, it's, you got to understand that that's not interesting to anybody. It just isn't. When, when a character has no flaws and can do everything perfectly the first time, then there's no challenge. There's nothing that she has to overcome. If, if this is Ray's story, then she has to fail at some point. She has to be challenged. Something has to go wrong. She has to make mistakes. And we have to like her. She has to have some personality, some quirks, some interesting things that she does or some opinions that she has that makes her stand apart from some other Joe Blow, or else why do we care? And making her a nobody is interesting only in the sense that anybody could be the force person thingamajigger, and you don't have to be a Skywalker or a whatever. I'm okay with that. You don't have to be an Obi-Wan Kenobi daughter. But explain why she can do everything perfectly the first time on the first try and never have a problem with anything ever. And better yet, just don't do that. Have her have obstacles to overcome and make mistakes. And This is storytelling 101, people. I don't understand why I have to explain this. So, but anyway, um, lots of problems with the movie, but I still had a good time. Uh, if you can turn your brain off and just watch this movie, having forgotten the first one, it's better. But yeah, lots of lots of issues. Um, still had a good time though. Black and gold, barely, barely. It's like a, it's like a six and a half. Well, I think I think Robert is being extraordinarily kind. Um, <laughs> I am a nice person. I was disappointed at almost every aspect of this movie. I hate to say it, uh, with the exception of the first like ten minutes being fairly entertaining. The movie was just I I, I did not enjoy it in any sense. I thought they made major fatal flaws. I Felt like they were sacrificing what could have been a good movie in order to have simple, simplified tropes at best. So all around, it's got uh, black and red. And if, and if black and black were a possibility, I'd give it that. You know, I just 
I, I really did not like the movie. I did not like the characters. I did not like the writing. I didn't like the storyline. And I, I felt like it, I don't know, it's like, it's like if you're taking the clothes off of a, a girl who's a solid 10 and you find out that she's a man. You know, it's just, just very disappointing. <laughs> um, so you, didn't like, you don't like Adam Driver as Kylo? Because I think he's good. Yeah, I just don't think they're giving him enough to do, like having him do interesting things. Adam Driver as Kylo is fine. The problem is the Kylo Ren character himself is just not – like they're not developing him appropriately. So it's – Right. It's like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. You're, you're winning the five-yard sprint. Oh. Sweet. Yeah, give 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 Kylo something interesting to do next movie, please. Give give Ray something interesting to do. Yeah. Have her have develop these characters some. Have them learn something. Have them overcome challenges in interesting ways. Good lord. But I did enjoy when they had conversations. I liked that they were talking to each other. I thought that was fun. Yeah, it was a little bit lazy screenwriting, but I liked it. Adam Driver shirtless. Uh, yeah, that was uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, which they even say, could, could you put on a robe or something? Like, right, I was like, yes, please. Yeah, sure. Please cover that up. Anyway, Daniel, that'll do it, I think, buddy. All right, boys. Well, hey, thank you so much for carrying this episode, Robert, and the professional asshole. Apologies for the technical difficulties as a result of the inclement weather that is both keeping Robert on the west side of the mountains, but also has now cut my power. So, uh, freezing rain, heavy, heavy uh, branches, and I guess power lines don't mix too well much like Ryan Johnson and the new Star Wars trilogy uh, so far anyway. Uh, I don't know if this is one I'm going to run out and see. I'll, I'll probably wait till it's on Vudu or Netflix or something along those lines. Uh, I did just buy the first six movies on the Vudu, and I think I'll stick to um, probably just episodes four, five, and six for the most part, especially four and five, because those are, of course, the top two most well done. And per our conversation with Mike C. on our previous episode, it, it sounds a lot like uh, A New Hope was saved in the edit. And I'll post that, uh, that little presentation down below on our show notes page, which can be found at actualanarchy.com slash 57, where we're talking about The Last Jedi on the Actual Anarchy podcast. Happy New Year to everyone. This is our last episode of the year. Uh, it's a bit of a train wreck, uh, like we previously had been doing for most of the year. I think we got a little bit more professional as we progressed along, but uh, here we are back at it again. And uh, I guess my resolution for next year is going to be to up our game even that much more. And I think we're going to get into... Uh, Get Out and The Ghost in the Shell on some upcoming episodes. Uh, so Happy New Year, everyone, and I'll uh, pass the mic over to Robert and then to Professional Asshole, and we'll say goodnight. Yeah, I look forward to what we have to do in the new year. Um, also look forward to a bonus like Libertarian Union episode. I think that's going to be released with um, – is that going to be a Kenny episode, or is that going to be – who's going to be releasing that? I think it's going to be on uh, Wizardly Wisdom and Liberty Weekly and, and maybe a few other members of the Libertarian Union. Uh, I wasn't sure if we would post it on our feed or not, but we'll definitely have it available on the site. Yeah, and that's going to be a fun kind of hangout and kind of like a year-end wrap-up, best and worst lists and all kinds of fun stuff. So look forward to that. Other than that, it's been a fun year. We have had some technical challenges here and there, but that's the way it is. Um, hopefully we, we have gotten a little bit better. Hopefully you enjoy the content. And, uh, yeah, we'll have a whole lot more for you in the next year. We're not planning on uh, quitting anytime soon. So, um Happy New Year, everybody. Grab somebody you love and uh, give them a big old fat hug and kiss. Take it away, asshole. Finish this out. Well, uh, since I'm an asshole, I love nobody and I will hug nobody. I will only <laughs> end the year by saying uh, that if you're one of those people that needs to say Happy New Year and you have these New Year's resolutions, it's probably because you're a pleb and, you know, there's really not much help that I can give you if you're not already helping yourself. Become Ayn Rand's 
perfect ideal of a hero or, you know, just quit because nothing's going to get easier for you from here on out. And on that dark note, uh, good night, everyone. Thanks for joining us for this episode. All right. Good night. Good night. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do